Armor Podcast, episode 29, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. My guest today started early morning farm in 1999 with three acres, three friends, and a rototiller. Since then, this farm in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York has grown to over 100 acres and 1,500 CSA shares. Anton Burkett and I talk about how he has managed this rapid growth year over year. Anton has a thoughtful approach to issues of scale, and we talk about how he's leveraged his CSA to solve the land access problem, his approach to personnel management and hiring, and how he strategically managed machinery investments and reinvestments as his farm has grown. We also talk some about adventures with storage, Kohlrabi. Really, what's the deal with kohlrabi? I just don't get the appeal. But despite the kohlrabi, I think Anton provides a lot of great insights here, and I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I did recording it. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by Vermont Compost, founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high quality composts and compost-based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by Audible. Discover the world of audiobooks and absorb yourself in the latest business management texts, farming essays, or all three volumes of The Lord of the Rings. Get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer. Anton Burkett from Early Morning Farm, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. Really appreciate you joining us on a busy Friday afternoon. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> so I'd like to start off just asking a little bit about early morning farm and and where you guys are at now because you're a, you're a very large CSA operation in a in a not extremely densely populated area. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, we serve kind of the whole middle of the state in New York, so we have around fifteen hundred CSA members in our CSA uh, this year. And, uh, and last year as well, it's about what we had. Um, we are located uh, just north of Ithaca, New York, and our CSA, you know, serves Ithaca and Syracuse and, and Binghamton areas. So although it's not, you know, it's not New York City or Philadelphia or, or Houston or, or anything like that, but it's, it's a good size. Uh, metropolitan area that we are kind of serving a fair number of people when you kind of take all those into account. So, And then are you selling uh, produce in other ways as well beyond just the CSA? Um, a little bit, you know, CSA we figure is about 90% of our sales, um, 90 plus percent of our sales. The rest of it we are selling through farmers markets and, um, uh, a tiny bit of wholesale type of accounts, but most more more farmers markets than than anything else for the surplus um, produce that we're moving at this point. And for those fifteen hundred shares, how many drop sites are you managing with that? There's about fifty. We have uh, pickups on um, you know delivery to pickup locations on uh, five days a week. So we're we're kind of have trucks running. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and Saturday. Um, so, you know, there's there's a fair amount of, of logistics there. but Yeah, that's kind of um, a, a not farming sort of an activity there for you, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, the revelation that sort of came to my uh, attention was that I could uh, hire somebody to drive a truck. I don't have to myself. And, 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 uh, you know, and that gives uh, actually gives us a little bit more time on the farm 
um, as opposed to trying to to um, farmers markets and whatnot all every day. And I guess that being at a certain scale actually allows you to hire somebody who's good at driving the truck instead of having it be an extra job for somebody else who's already on your farm. Yeah, it it was really, and you know, that it's a steady enough work for the fellow that we have doing it. We were really um, lucky. We got a really excellent driver that um, loves to, loves to drive and is accurate with his counts and all those kinds of things. And, um, uh, so yeah, that has been a real plus for us to be able to do that. Is there a secret to finding a driver who's accurate with his counts? <laughs> I don't know what it is, um, for sure. I, I think, uh, uh, it, it's, um, you know, we definitely have the paperwork in front of him so that he can, he knows what, what to count. But I think just having the person that, you know, is diligent and cares enough about what they're doing is, is really important. And, you know, those Finding, finding the right people is always a challenge for every business and in every situation, I think. Um, so that's, I don't know what exactly the secret is, but, okay. but uh, we had to go through a, a couple of people actually to get the right one. So, but now we've got somebody who's been with us. If he's, um, you know, it's a part-time job is the other thing, even with the five days a week of deliveries, it's still, they're not all full days. And so he's only turning in 25 hours a week. So that's not, um, still not quite a full time job. And it's also seasonal because it's only going when the CSA is going, which is, you know, June through November. So, um, you kind of have to find the person who's in the right situation to be able to do that as well. So what are you using to manage the, logistics on the farm that, I mean, that many deliveries on that many days, I mean, that's kind of a, you must have a constantly rolling harvest and, and some pretty robust software to back all of that up. We use, um, a member management software called, uh, Farmigo. Um, we've been using that for, since I think 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. That's what we're using to manage our logistics on, on, in that, you know, in the sort of harvest and delivery realm anyway. Um, and, uh, we, you know, what I think we've looked into software and, and really there aren't any models out there that are completely robust enough. Anyone, uh, our farms needs. So we do have to, to, and I think that's, that's fair. I mean, they're, they're, they're packaged to be able to handle as many different situations as possible. There's a number of options out there for member management software, and they're all kind of trying to serve the needs of the, of a, uh, you know, of a number of farms all at once. And so, um, you know, they're never going to quite make it for every farm in every situation. So we, we end up downloading uh, reports and manipulating a little bit and, um, but it's over, it's still, it's an invaluable tool it's been for us to be able to, to do that. Otherwise we'd be building some crazy spreadsheets, I'm sure. So that wouldn't be very fun. Nice, nice to let that be on somebody else's hands. I think Yeah, it handles all the signups and, um, you know, all the route sheets and for the driver and we get a packing list out of that. And, uh, for the, you know, for the days when they're actually building the boxes and, and, um, uh, you know, I can generate a harvest list from there for that has the accurate counts on for them to harvest for the boxes so that we don't, 
you know, get halfway through boxing and need more bok choy or something. Um, right. But it works out great. So when you sell a share, you're, you're putting that into a, into what size of a box? We have two sizes of boxes. We have, uh, we call it a basic and a premium. And our basic goes into a half bushel box and our premium is in a, on a three quarter bushel box. I like that. That's actually sort of flipping the half share idea on its head to, to basically sell a smaller share and then the upgrade to go to that larger size. Yeah, it, it is. Well, you know, it is kind of doing that. And, and the smaller share is um, the size of, you know, most most CSA shares out there are probably be in the same size category as that smaller share that we're selling the basic share size. It's got seven to nine different items in it. It's just uh, each week and it's, it's a half bushel, but it's stuff full, you know, every week. And, um, you know, there's a good 35 servings a week of vegetables in there. So it's pretty much a standard size CSA share for the basic and then the premium. Um, you know, if you want more, you can get that for, it's only got a couple extra items in it and we only charge five bucks a week more for it. About five bucks a week over a season, that, that adds up to something substantial. So, uh, you know, so we get we get some people buy that. About two thirds of the people buy our um, basic share and the other third buy a premium. I thought that was something interesting on your website. I haven't seen anybody else do this where you defined the share by how many servings of vegetables it was every week. How do you how do you get at that number? Well, it's definitely a little bit of uh, um there's a little bit of guesswork in there. I think we're pretty conservative with our guesswork because, you know, it's it's better to give a little bit of a conservative estimate and have people be uh, satisfied than to have somebody trying to, like, do their own calculation later on and not coming up with the same number you came up with because and then you're arguing over whether a bunch of kale is five servings or three servings. <laughs> you know, so um, that, that kind of, is you know we kind of went with the standard like half a cup of vegetables as a serving kind of thing, and okay. you know it's and it's it is a little bit um, subjective to some extent, but it kind of just helps people gauge what size of share to get because I think we started getting that question quite a bit like oh so you have the smallest share so that must be for you know, um, a household with like just two adults in it, but we have a family. So maybe we should get the premium share. And, and, uh, at first that's kind of what we, yeah, absolutely. Is you got three kids and you got two adults, you should definitely get the premium share. But then kind of looking after a while, we started to realize that we had members that were getting the basic share and it was like just the one person and they'd pick it up on Tuesday and they'd be done with it on Thursday. They just buzzed right through it because they're vegan and they're juicing. And it's like, it's just nothing to them. They just go right through that. It's a couple meals, you know, they're <laughs> buzzing right through it. And then the opposite, we would have, um, you know, families with like three kids, but they're running around to soccer practice and picking kids up and dropping them off and then getting pizza three nights a week. And, uh, you know, a basic share, if they can get through that, it's just in a week's time, they, they made, they accomplished something, you know, so that, that kind of like 
made us realize you can't really decide, you can't really recommend a size share based on a number of people in the household. You kind of have to uh, recommend the size of share of vegetables based on how much people cook and how much they use vegetables and how much they they're in the kitchen essentially and how they cook even you know or they're juicing or whatever. So that's kind of why we started to go to that type of model just to to improve our sales pitch more than anything. I really liked it. It felt like something that, you know, I'm, I'm actually in a situation now that I'm not farming anymore where, and just having relocated this summer, I don't have a vegetable garden. So I'm condemned to do that walk of shame as a former market farmer and, you know, go to the co-op and buy vegetables. And as somebody who's doing that, I saw you, that on your site. And I said, Oh, I kind of, I actually have something there that I could go and look at my eating habits every week and say, how many servings of vegetables do we use in our house? Uh, that's a, that felt really valuable. I mean, that, that actually was the first time I've seen something where I could, where I went like, I kind of know what, what that volume of vegetables means or would know from the outside. I mean, I have an idea what three quarters of a bushel of vegetables is, but that doesn't mean anything to your average, average person on the street. Or average soccer it, mom. Yeah, and it's funny too because you tell somebody that the basic share all has thirty-five servings of um, vegetables in it in every week, and then they, their eyes start popping out of their head, and you said, you know, they're supposed to eat five servings of vegetables a day, so that should be for one person. <laughs> you know, right? That, that you should one person should get through this technically. Um, so that's something you know that like. So, you know, if you're not eating like that, then the, the challenge uh, becomes, well, how do you improve your your health <laughs> so you can eat more vegetables? But anyway, that's yeah. something we've, we've thought of, too, is just getting, trying to get people to realize how little vegetables they're actually eating. I think even even I struggle with that, and I'm the farmer, and I live on a vegetable farm, and, you know, I've got vegetables all around <laughs> me, and... Still, did I eat my 35 servings this week or not? I don't know. What kind of a land base does it take to produce 1,500 shares of vegetables? That's a really good question. And I, I think we're, um, we're uh, you know, we've grown really quickly. Our farm, it went from, um, I think in 2013, we had 800 shares. And then if you went back to like 2010, we had maybe 400 and if you went to 2008 we had like 2250 shares so in that eight years we've gone from or not even seven years we've gone from uh 250 shares to 1500 gsa members and that's a big jump um over time and so the learning curve is steep and we're still catching up to it and i think that our tendency is to, you know, overproduce a little bit. Um, We have about 120 acres of vegetables planted this year. Um, I think if we were really efficient with our crop planting a little, you know, not that we're not efficient, but we, if we were more efficient and we dialed it in a little tighter, um, we could probably produce for another 500 shares on the land base that we're, that we're utilizing right now. Um, so that's kind of where we're focusing. And, you know, for a while there, we were like rent land, rent land, where's it, where is it? You know, trying to get people to, um, 
trying to find the land that we could rent. It's not, it's a little scarce around here. Uh, land is a tight, tough commodity around here to, to get a hold of because it's in high demand. There's, um, uh, a lot, a lot of times you hear stories of places where land is, um, there's pressure from development and whatnot. Well, here the pressure for land is from agriculture. You know, they, there's dairies and, um, crop farms around here that are really, you know, everybody wants a piece of land right now. And the price of land is, is gotten driven up by farming, but not by development. So that's an interesting thing that's happened around here. So, is it pretty good land there in the Finger Lakes region? And you know, there's pockets of it, and we're in one of those pockets. Um, there's pockets where the land is not great, and there's pockets where it's really good. And there's some in between, I guess. Also, yeah. but our is is definitely some of the best soils in the state. And where you're farming, is it all one contiguous piece, or are you kind of scattered around? No, we're definitely scattered. We have. Um, you know, the home farm that I bought back in 98 is um, 20 acres, and uh, but we have about 10 fields now. Um, so they're all, everything's within like eight miles of the, the home base, but um, we definitely drive around from field to field. And uh, interestingly, uh, how, is, how land is hard to get here, and it really is, you almost... You know, if a piece of land comes up for for um, sale or rent or whatever, there's there's a number of big dairies in our area, and um, if you have a hundred acres, you just call the the three big dairies and um, let them bid it out, and you'll get a really good price. and And that's all you have to do. You don't have to advertise or anything if you have a piece of land to rent or sell, even. And sell, selling is the same thing, you know. And you know, just like, well, he'll give you 7,000, he'll give me 8,000, he'll give me 9,000, they'll give you 10,000 acres sold. And you don't even have to have an auction. And I, you know, the other farmers, like you say, we're one of the bigger CSAs, but we're still farm really only 100 acres. And it's kind of small in the bigger picture. And so we don't get invited to those kinds of um, situations. But we found uh, support in our community to help us provide that land base, you know, um, we're, we're renting all, all of the land that we're renting. We're renting from CSA members. Um, oh, really? CSA members first. Uh, we even had some CSA members purchase land to rent to us. So that has been a really huge, uh, I guess you call it social capital. <laughs> wow. That we've been able to tap into and, and it helped us grow a lot. So, yeah, like you know, they liked what we were doing. They believed in the mission that we were trying to present, and and uh, um, wanted to wanted to participate. So that that we had two two members that have actually purchased land just to to rent to us as the primary purpose. And was that something that you solicited, or was that something that they came to you and said, "If we buy this land, will you want to farm it?" No, it happened organically. Honestly, it really did. It, the first person that came to us was somebody that wanted to, you know, he's like, "Hey, I want. I sold my business, and I want to, to, and so I made some money, and I have some money to invest. I don't really want to be an active partner or anything, but if there's something that we can do that." doesn't, you know, that we don't lose money doing and it's safe and it helps you, what would it be? And I said, oh, buy land. That would be really helpful. 
<laughs> you wouldn't lose any money. You it's not risky. Land prices are pretty stable. It's only going up, and and, uh, and it'll be tremendously helpful. We could rent from you and cover your costs, and it'd be, um, you know, you, you'd win in that way. So, so that was the first thing. That first time it happened, and then, um, you know, I think um, another person inherited some land and it was being rented to a conventional farm and they rented to us and, um, another farm, another family basically had some land that they wanted to, um, you know, they wanted to tax break for what's to lease it. And, um, then another member had their front yard was four acres and they didn't like mowing it anymore. And so they rented to us for a exchange for a CSA share. And then somebody heard about that and they rented us their backyard, which is three acres. And, you know, so, and then another, um, another member bought a hundred, 300 acres. And, uh, so we have access to not, it's not all tillable, but a couple hundred of it is. And we have access to all that that we want. So, We've got all the land we need now. That was a real stress for a long time, though. Um, you know, land and, you know, the, the tight, tight pinching points for growth on on an organic farm are usually labor and land, uh, for vegetable farms at least. And uh, so now it's just labor. <laughs> We've been able to get that fairly well, too, but it's a, it's a little tricky getting good solid labor sometimes. What is your primary source of labor there? Locals. We have, you know, local people that come in and work here. They usually, they, they come with a, some interest in farming or, or, or in sustainability or something, you know, and, uh, something that kind of relates to our mission community or something like that, you know? And, um, you know, we try to create a really positive work environment and, uh, in a really high energy work environment. Um, and, um, people come back. So we try to pay fairly as, as fairly as we can. You know, I don't think there is a, I don't think that, you know, anyone pays fairly for agriculture. So that means it's hard for anyone to pay fairly for agriculture work, you know, but we pay as well as we can and, um, we get people to come back. So when you talk about creating a, a fun and a high energy work environment or a positive and high energy work environment, at least, um, a lot of people say that, I mean, if you look on a, on, on most watt ads for farms, they talk about it being a positive environment, but you go to a lot of places and it's overwhelmingly negative. People are disgruntled. They're unhappy. They're working too hard or at least they feel like they're working too hard. What are you doing to foster that positive environment to make it an engaging place to work? I don't know for sure exactly what I think some of it's just happened and some of it's the people that we have here. Um, and some of it, I think we're, we don't, we bring people in basically and we hire them and, uh, the interview process goes something like this. Um, do you have a driver's license? Do you have a car that you can get here? Have you been convicted of any felonies? And then why, you know, why do you want to work here? Is this really, you know, and then the next thing I do is just like, 
here's what happens here. This is crazy. These guys are nuts. They work really, really hard. They love what they do. You'll have fun if you love it too. But if you don't, it's, you're not going to like it. And, um, uh, you know, if you want to do it, show up on Monday. <laughs> um, you know, assuming I got the right que- answers to the driver's license and the felony question. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, and then the other caveat is like, Hey, Monday is a trial day. If you don't, you know, if either of us doesn't like it at the end of the day, it's, it's fine. No problem. If you don't like to work and you want to leave at noon or 10 o'clock in the morning, go ahead. It's fine. I have no hard feelings whatsoever. I totally understand. This is crazy work. And, and so I mean, kind of putting that, laying that out out front for people, it has been a successful tactic for us as far as getting, getting people, the right people here and keeping them here because like then, you know, if, it, if somebody, it isn't working out, nobody feels obligated to keep them around. The person that's here that is, is dragging and feeling like the work is un, doesn't pay well enough and this is, um, you know, really too hard and all that kind of stuff. If you, that, that's how you feel, then just like, go on, move along and no hard feelings, really. We don't, there's no reason to get frustrated with a person like that because in a lot of ways they're right. It is really hard work. It is underpaid. It's undervalued by society. And, you know, unless you have, unless you're basically crazy enough to have a passion for this, there's no reason to be doing it. And so then we kind of just end up with those people that are crazy enough to have a passion for it, really love what they're doing and, um, and wouldn't want to do anything else. You know, that, that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we get that. I mean, I went around and asked everybody here because I'm kind of already starting to plan next year. I, I went around and asked everybody that's here um, and we have that, that's here and it's their first year. And we probably have like five or six people that this is their first year. Um, I went around and asked them all, are you coming back next year? I asked them that yesterday and every one of them said, yes, absolutely. Definitely coming back. So that's good. Oh, great. <laughs> you know, that means we have the right, we have the right people here. That's a good sign. And that's five or six people. This is their first year out of how many people total on your farm? Well, I think if you look at what's on the, it does vary. You know, we don't, we don't have very many people here in March and there's not that many, there's less people here in November than there are now. Um, and, uh, you know, we just lost a couple of people cause they went back to school. Um, so we, we, we have, we usually, we have a few people that come for the summer, um, and they're in, you know, they're going to one of the universities or whatever around here. Um, uh, so I would say the high point is around 20 people, 20 to 21 people on payroll and the lower and in the winter, there's just two people on payroll plus me. Um, and right now there's. 13 or 15 people maybe out in the field and then 14 or 15 in the field. And then there's like a mechanic and a marketing person and a uh, driver and, you know, the one guy that's kind of like in the office half time doing spreadsheets and financial work and uh, who else is kind of overheadish. That's about it. I think. And then like Chris is like our production manager and he's, He's in the field, but then again, he's like kind of separate 
in a lot of ways. Like he's doing, he's on the tractor all the time, basically, and getting off the tractor and kind of trying to figure out the overall big picture of the production end of things and communicating with the other managers. Communicating with the other managers. So you kind of have a level of, of management on your farm that's below you. Definitely. I can't do everything, you know, at all. I mean, that's crazy. So one thing that like when we were 250 members, uh, that is an is, um, advantage from that scale is that you don't really need to hire a lot of other managers. You don't need to hire any other managers at 250 members. You, you are the, the person that does the, you're the marketing person, you're the packing manager, you're the harvest manager, crew leader, you're the production manager. Um, right. you're in charge of the finances, you're in charge of HR, you, you're all those things. Um, so you don't have to pay anybody to do any of those things, which is an advantage with the disadvantages that, you know, you have to do all those things and, and they're all falling on you. And it's a really diverse, um, set of like skills that, you know, you have to kind of cultivate all at once. and and, uh, and it's fine. It, it, and the other disadvantage of it though, is I think that, um, you know, when you're, you're, you're at that scale and you're paying somebody, you know, nine, maybe $10 an hour, even $11 an hour to work on your farm and they want to come back the next year, you're paying them nine, maybe 10, maybe $11 an hour again. Right. There, there isn't anywhere for them to move up. They're not going to be doing any of those management tasks that you're doing because you, you don't have a, position for that. So you can't really retain people for in, you know, indefinitely you, uh, at, at 10 bucks an hour and you can't afford to pay them 16. So they're not going to come back at some point. So was that something that drove you to increase the size of your farm? Um, to some extent. Yeah, I think it was not because I wanted, wanted to give up control of things or whatever, but because, you know, I'm 46, not old, but it's not young either. And, um, I don't have the same level of vigor that I did when I was 26, you know? And so I, I, um, you know, my back hurts if I work outside in the field for too long. So I can't, quite do all of the things to the same level of excellence that I could when I was younger. And so I think that, you know, that helps kind of to motivate like a little bit of diversification in the, in that role, you know, like setting aside some other roles for people. Um, And then I see like a lot, another motivating factor, that's one piece of it, sort of a self, reflection kind of piece of it. But I think the other piece of it was also just sort of this realization that there's a lot of people out there that are trying to get involved in farming. They they want to try and start their own farm or, or they, you know, want, they have a passion for the idea of farming and, and growing food and whatnot. But when they start to look at the reality of starting their own farm, uh, it's, it's a lot of upfront capital that they got to come up with. And there's a lot of, um, and there's a, uh, a pretty intense lead time before you start making any kind of substantial profit at all. And so, you know, you might have to borrow a whole bunch of money and 
make ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year for the first five or six years of your farming career. And and that's not really that's just a lot of risk and it's a lot of um a lot of years of toil and difficulty for for people. And so I think kind of being able to offer um for people that really want to give themselves to this sort of mission of farming in an organic way and um, farming in a community-based sort of mission, it was was something that you know we wanted to be able to do as well. So I really I like that, and and uh, I mean managing that kind of growth couldn't have been easy for you. I mean, if I I just did a quick calculation on my notepad here, but you know we'd say that six hundred percent growth over the last seven years that you described. I mean that's a that's right. a lot of pushing. Thirty yeah. to forty percent a year growth is the way I would put it, which is is, is not not nothing for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it is difficult. It was it was risky a little bit. Um, at times, it was there was some risk involved, I guess. Um, just kind of, but you know, I had to stare at QuickBooks a lot to do that. Stare at spreadsheets and stare at QuickBooks and. Trying, I'm still doing that. Trying to rein things in, um, you know. But oh, I don't know. It, it seemed doable. The harder part is not what you think. Uh, well, in some places it may be, but in some places, the country or some certain markets or whatever, where the heart is actually selling stuff or growing stuff, maybe even. But to us, I think the harder stuff part was. Um, managing the money so that um, we had the right tools at the right, you know, stages of our growth. And, you know, there was like this whole thing where we kind of had like a bunch of 40 and 50 horsepower tractors and all the implements that went behind them. And we got to a point where we're like, those are all useless. We need a 90 horsepower tractor with all the implements that go behind that. And and now we're like on the edge of like needing the 150 horsepower with all the implements that go behind that. So that kind of like there's a lot of trading in of you know, a lot of the dealership love us for and stuff and buying new stuff and <laughs> you know. So. Well, that's where you're glad that farm machinery holds its value, right? Yeah, it really does. It it really does kind of it holds its value. Uh, just doesn't hold its value in, in respect to inflation at all, but it, it does seem to right. otherwise hold its value. So as you've grown through that, I mean, now you're talking about moving up to 150 horsepower equipment. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your production system? Are you guys laid out on raised beds, 72 inch centers, or how, how does that work on your operation? Yeah, uh, they're not raised beds. We don't really use that, but we do have a, we, it is a bed system. Um, and, uh, we do, we have actually, uh, like a Buckeye better that we use. So it would make a raised bed, but we kind of, uh, use it as at the, you know, the lowest setting. So the bed is really not really raised. It's pretty flat, but, uh, we use that when we plant carrots, um, and anything else. No, just carrots. I think we just use that for carrots, but everything else is, is just getting like field cultivated and planted. And, um, the beds are like, you know, 40 inches or something. And then the tire tracks are 18. So, uh, and then there's always play in there. So they're about five foot on center, but at, at best, more like six is probably better. 
estimate. So, um, so that's kind of uh, what that, you know, 65 to 72 inches on center, depending on who drove that day. <laughs> and and uh, we transplant all the crops out, you know, all the lettuce and broccoli and collards and kale and all that kind of stuff. It's transplanted out. Um, and then, of course, we direct sow stuff, too, into, the, into those systems. So, What kind of a cultivating system are you using on that kind of a scale? I mean, it's more um, than you can cover with just one G, right? Yeah, we have a few Gs, but we don't really use them anymore. We've gone to the uh, Farmall 140 is our favorite cultivating tractor now. Um, we put, like, basket weeders or knives on there. We started messing around with spiders, feathery spiders now, too. And that's pretty much, you know, we have, a, I don't know how many of those I was buying. I must have, like, five or six of those 140s and Super A's. And, uh, and because it's handy to have a bunch of them, because um, you can put them in, in different fields and you don't have to drive around or put them on trailers all the time. And you can, keep a tool set on one um and uh you know and just not have to change the tool set you just grab drop on the other hop on the other tractor that has this basket weeder on it or whatever um so yeah that's kind of our our cultivating tool of choice i would say we do a little flame weeding now and then and um more than our fair share of hand weeding, I suppose. But, um, but a lot of stuff is really, you know, we really rely on that, on that, you know, 1950s style cultivating tractor because, um, and you know, when we get a wet year, like we had, uh, it's not a wet year at this point, but in the spring we had just lots and lots of rain there for a little while. And, uh, you know, that, that really, um, that really cut into our, our cultivating windows. And we had some, some weed issues on in some of the spring. And so, um, you know, that's, you just, you can't hoe a hundred acres and you can't hand weed a hundred acres. There's no way. So if you get behind it, it can be really costly. It's um, a little different than that whole three friends, three acres in a rototiller place that you guys started. Absolutely. It's completely you know. different. It's, there's no comparison to what we're doing I mean, now to then. Um, but uh, it's still, it's still really productive and sustainable. And I think even you can make an argument that, you know, we, we use less labor per acre and we use less fuels per acre and, um, and whatnot at the scale that we're at than we did when we were, you know, at three acres or whatever. It's so intensive at three acres and there's a lot of inefficiencies that kind of play out at that scale. And I think you just have to improve your management so much when you're on a larger scale because you can't, like you say, you can't fall back on hand weeding a hundred acres of vegetables. No, you just can't. So everything has to be, you know, you have to have people on tractors all the time and, you know, you, you start to become acutely aware of it. You know, you got to, two 95 horsepower tractors and they cost thirty five, $40,000 each. And you got like, you know, five cultivating tractors and they were three grand each. And you just like everyone on a tractor, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> you don't really want those things sitting around. Um, 
because you when you if you just start thinking about it in the terms of like what it's costing you to have them, you want them doing something and making money. So they they we kind of try to keep stuff running, which is an interesting rabbit hole. You got to try and uh, you know there's another side to that sword. Basically, like you your your assets can drive your whole operation if you're not careful instead of the other way around. It's like oh I have this now I must produce <laughs> and and um I think that that's something to be careful of as as you're growing an operation for sure it, would would you have done that differently I mean you say it was something to be careful of is there because I know that feeling you've got the machinery you want to you want to see it in motion you want to make sure that you're maximizing its potential um but I don't really know that there's another that there's another way to interface with your machinery it almost doesn't matter if you're dealing with a, with a BCS 853 or if you're dealing with a, a 90 horsepower tractor. I think the only thing that you, you know, the thing that would be helpful to, and what I kind of, something clicked in my head at some point when I was down around that 250 scale or whatever, was that there are, that each uh, level of mechanization has its, um, yield potential essentially like how much land it can call how much land it can bring into production and so when you buy a 60 horsepower tractor just be aware that you're you just you just signed yourself up for 20 acres you know what i mean yeah (laughs) and so and so like that kind of you know when you buy a 150 horsepower tractor just be aware that you just signed yourself up for 160 horsepower you know, out acres or whatever it is. And so that kind of like pre-planning in that sense, I think is, is helpful. Um, and it's helpful in both ways because like, you know, a lot of times you're buying a, a machine, piece of machinery and it seems like way too much to spend on a tractor, you know, or way too much to spend on a field cultivator or whatever it is, or a seeder or whatever it is. But like, if you can understand that that, means you're not going to be farming in the same way at all anymore, then, you know, you can make that calculation in a different, with a different mindset, I guess. So. I think it's a hard thing with a lot of that basic machinery, like a, like a tractor is it's very difficult to sit down and calculate a return on investment for something like that. I mean, it's really easy if you're sitting there going, well, I'm going to save this much labor because I got a finger weeder. Um, but it's it's a lot harder to do with the tractor, and like you said, because it 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 either drives or enables a a different scale of farming, a really different level of the operation. Um, I imagine that it it must have felt like you were flying blind sometimes as you were growing and needing to trade up your equipment. You know, kind of knowing exactly where you're going and and how you're going to get there in terms of the iron that you were investing in. Yeah, to some extent. Although I also think that. Um, you know, I think that almost that's where I'm, we're almost more there now than we were when we were growing. In fact, we, if, if you know, if you paid real close attention earlier when we first started the, the whole interview today, I said we had 1500 members this year and we had 1500 members last year. So we took a, we took a pause right now because we're kind of like looking at where we are and realizing, um, that 
we need to like make sure we understand what the next business model looks like at the next scale up because all your margins change, you know, your, your sales to labor ratio changes and, um, your overhead to sales ratio change, all those like standard business ratio things and debt to equity, all that stuff changes as you change your, your scale. And so you have a different, um, sort of, you're almost working on a different business model at, at the next level of scale. So we're kind of at that point right now, whereas the first push, we were more at a level like, like, Hey, we're not making that much profit right now. We don't have anything to lose. Let's go. And so, uh, you know, we'll sell the 60 horsepower or buy a six versus buy a 60 horsepower tractor and then sell it, right. 60 horsepower, you know, because it, it just made sense. We have the, we're definitely generating the sales. We're definitely still, you know, we definitely have the cash flow to purchase new stuff. So let's purchase new stuff and keep investing. Um, but it tight, you know, it's tightened up on us a little bit. So we don't have quite the, you know, quite the, the cash flow to invest at the same rate in the farm that we were. Um, so we're kind of like, well, what do we, what do we got to adjust here? So that's kind of where we are right now. So really kind of deciding what the next step is for your business. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can really go backwards, but the, I mean, maybe we could, but we, we don't really, you know, backwards in the sense that we downscale or whatever. It's not really something that we, is appealing to anybody, but I think there's the question, the real question of, do we stay at the scale that we're at or do we, um, slowly grow, you know, at like do like a con- more controlled growth at like 5% a year or 10% a year, or do we push to get to, you know, 3000 members and, you know, try and go with for 40% growth a year. So those are the kind of scenarios, I guess, that we're kind of looking at and, and which one is the right one for us right now. Anton, we're going to take a break here and get a word from our sponsors. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Vermont Compost. Vermont Compost potting soils are a really special product. I used Vermont's Compost Fort V as a blocking mix and potting soil for over 12 years on my farm, and we grew some great transplants with it. I mean really great transplants, year after year. At a time in the organic movement when we're seeing more and more companies jumping on the bandwagon, Vermont Compost is a reminder of the art and the craft of making potting soil. They mix an incredible diversity of ingredients into the compost that forms the basis of their potting soil, incorporating many kinds of manures along with plant materials and food waste to foster structure and aeration in the compost. I love that their Fort V-Mix even has chips of ocean blue granite in it and kelp for a little smell of the ocean. One thing I have always appreciated about Vermont Compost is their ability to put out a consistent, fantastic product year after year. And in something that's subject to as many variables as market farming, it's nice to have something that you can count on. VermontCompost.com. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download when you sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer. 
I've been a fan of the spoken word since I read along with children's stories on a portable 78 RPM record player. I love the way that the engaging in the oral tradition works with a different part of my brain than reading does and the presence that it brings to ideas and voices. And it's so easy to tap into spoken word audio now that you probably carry an iDevice or an Android with you just about everywhere you go. Audible has over 100,000 titles that you can choose from, ranging from great science fiction and romance to self-help and business titles. I want to recommend one book that will resonate with anybody who has run a business or a farm, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Gerber lays out the fundamental challenge of making the leap from being great at doing the work to becoming great at running a business and provides practical suggestions for fostering that change. Just go to audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer to get your free download of the E-Myth Revisited or any other book from Audible's extensive library. And we're back with Anton Burkett from Early Morning Farm. When you're talking to farmers who are getting started or who maybe have been in for six or seven years and are looking at making the kinds of expansion that, that you did, what, what kinds of things would you say to them about that? I mean, how would, how would you advise somebody who's growing say 20 acres of vegetables and, and a couple hundred CSA members and thinking about making that next leap? What would you, what would you say to them to help them make a good decision about that? I mean, I think the first thing is to make sure that you have a good product that you're offering and that your value proposition is appealing. And the second thing is to figure out how to keep that in place and improve upon it. Um, and we, you know, it's, 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 um, we've been talking a lot about machinery and, but I think a lot is, um, about, you know, the actual product that you are putting out there needs to be, valuable to the valuable enough to the customer that you can actually create to participate in a larger market for that product. Um, and, um, you know, in our case, the product is the CSA share. Um, but it could be somebody who's trying to grow clamshells of baby arugula, you know, whatever, same yep. thing. Um, and, um, you know, and then, uh, to figure out like how the, you know, write a business plan, but write it down. Like, even if you're not going to the bank and you're not going to give the bank the business plan, in fact, all the better if you're not going to go to the bank and, and give the bank the business plan. Cause now you can tell the truth um, right. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, write your business plan down and, um, and, you know, cause it seems almost like a pointless exercise. Like I know what our plan is, you know, I don't need to write this down, but but really write it down and, and organize it and get, get, figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are going to be going forward and what your, um, you, you know, and where your capital is coming from and what the capital needs are and, and the priority and the order in which you're going to achieve those, um, you know, which tractor, you know, my tractor first or a bean picker first. You know, um, and, uh, right. uh, you know, that's a question we're asking, we're asked right now, are we going to buy a green bean harvester or a tractor? Um, you know, I think tractors winning at the moment, but, uh, you know, that's a legitimate question. They're both, both have a good return on investment in different ways. Um, and so like trying to direct that in that way and, and really think it through and think through like do a cash flow forecast because your cash flow will change when you get larger. It's going to change when the money comes in, 
you might be getting all your money in this. You might have 250 CSA members right now. They're all paying you by March 13th. You're completely full. You got all the money for the year in the bank's end. But if you grow to be 900 members, you might need to, you know, start up payment plans and, you know, offer prorated shares and in different options for people to pick up. And, you know, your money might not all come in in March. It might only get half of it by the same time. And, you know, you may be getting more, it may be more spread out, which may be helpful or it might be make things more difficult for you. So you have to kind of look at that piece of it. Right. I don't know what else management structure, make sure you get that down. All those kinds of, I mean, it's business regular business school. Like if you went and got yourself a, uh, you know, a business degree, it's all the same stuff. Just, you have to do all the things. Um, you can, you know, if, if you're like a, uh, you know, if you're at a smaller scale and you're, you're late, there's 25% of your growth and you're taking home, um, you're taking home 40% of it for yourself and you're selling a hundred thousand dollars a year worth of stuff. And you know, you have $40,000 in your pocket for you. You know, that's, that's a great model and a great place to be. And you know, it, it, there's no reason to mess with that unless you have a reason to mess with it. <laughs> Like you want to make more money or you, um, you want to provide for the community in a different way that you are. And by the way, I recommend the, the more, making more money, not being the reason to grow. I think the reason to grow should be, you want to serve the community in a different way because there's no guarantee that, you know, there's years that we, that I personally have not made more money than I made when I was, you know, smaller farm. Um, it just doesn't always work out that way. And yeah, you have theoretically equity, but you know, I can't tell you how many deer fences I've thrown up, you know, at five bucks a foot and right. no one's, no one's going to buy that back from me. It's always, it's gone, you know? So it's, you, you know, if you, if you want to make money, go to like, learn how to work the stock market. That's where, where you make money. And so, yeah, you know, it's really important. I think to, I mean, it's just my, my two cents. I think if, if you're any business you're in, if you can kind of think about like how, what's, what's the service and how, how you're going to help the world out first, I think that's the most important thing. I like that. I like that. Well, with that, Anton, let's let's switch over to the lightning round here. Ask you a bunch of uh, a bunch of quick or or long questions, whatever, however that goes. Uh, that we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast. And let's start with what's your favorite tool on the farm? Cell phone. <laughs> what you, what what kind of cell phone are you rocking these days? Well, I got I have an iPhone six, but like any cell phone, like I, that works for me uh, in the office. And it works for the marketing person that's in the office. But I think the guys in the field, they need like a, you know, a, a cheap flip phone, but they need a flip, they need a phone. Everybody has a phone and on them all the time, but like all managers anyway, they got to talk to each other. They got to talk to me and they got to talk to, to, um, 
you know, the guys just communicate. It's, it's important. And we get into different fields and we got crews in different places. Uh, we could not do what we're, I mean, we could maybe use a walkie talkie or something kind of system old school, but, uh, cell phones are the bomb here. They really, they keep this place going. Are your, is your crew pretty much in constant communication with each other? Uh, you know, you, is that a, that's a value that you really work to foster there? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, you can't, otherwise the wrong thing gets picked or the wrong thing gets weeded or the wrong, you know, or the, you know, the, the, somebody's going like there, you send the crew over to pick the turnips and, and, uh, you know, it's been 20 minutes. It's time to call them and see what's up because it should have taken, it should have taken 15 minutes, you know? So what's going on? Right. And and do we need to change course or we need to send reinforcements or what do we got to do? So I think that definitely um, is key. What was the last purely recreational activity that you did? Oh, I went for, uh, there's like these trails in, like in Lansing and uh, which is a town just south of where our farm is. And, and uh, our whole family like went for a little walk around those trails for a few miles. <laughs> that was probably a week ago. That's not bad. You know, within the last week, that's, that's pretty good for farming. Yeah. Um, not bad. Right. Yeah. So you, you said family. So do you have a wife and kids there on the farm with you? Well, actually um, it's funny. You should ask that. We, we moved off the farm a few years ago, um, and now the farmhouse, the old farmhouse, is office space. So we live in just you know just south of the farm a little bit in a, in a separate location, which is great. But yeah, that, so I do have that, but <laughs> but not actually on the farm. Uh, on the farm, and and is your partner involved in the farm? Nope, not at all. No, it's better that way. <laughs> For for us anyway, I and mean, I don't think that's always the case. But for our, you know, it's just not her passion, and there's no sense in in um, bring you know bringing anybody here that this isn't their passion. So yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's it's something that there's so much mythology around the family farm and it being something that everybody's involved in, and it's really easy to kind of take that as the default setting. But I. I've certainly seen a lot of situations where that wasn't the healthiest thing. To have yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, um, you know, there, there are obviously places where that works great and people for who that works great. But I think, um, you know, in our, our situation, it works great that we're not doing that. You know, we have, she can pursue her interests and I can, and, and I can pursue mine and what, what the heck, that's what most people do in this country with, you know, Somebody works one job and somebody works a different job and they come home and meet and do their thing. So yeah, it's, it's been great. So, What's your favorite crop to grow? Oh, probably lettuce. It's quick. It's, you know, productive. Um, there's a reasonable price for it. Um, you, you, you know, the turnaround time is quick, so you can put another crop after. Oh, I like growing lettuce and tomatoes Listen. and peppers. So another <laughs> one I like. Right? So. I, I could just I could just hear the list starting to tumble there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what's the last book that you read? Uh, probably all the way through would be 
uh, biography for Steve Jobs. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and did what did you find in there that was useful? Um, my favorite Steve Jobs quote, and I think it's in that book, is we don't hire people so we can tell them what to do. We hire people so they can tell us what to do. I think that's probably one of the most useful things. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it's not always useful on the, on the farm, you know, of course not for, but for managers, you want the manager to be reporting to you and telling you what needs to happen instead of the other way around. Right. So, right. And, and from, from the manager standpoint, maybe you're just the, the lowest manager we have, which is like a crew leader. You kind of want your crew member to be coming to you and telling you, Hey, these beats over here, they don't look so good. <laughs> I don't think we should pick those, you know? So like, I, I think all the way down the line, you kind of want that culture to be happening. So that, that's what you, I, I took from that anyway. It, and it sounds like that's something that you guys have on your farm. To, yeah, to, I mean, at least to some yeah, degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think largely, I mean, it's, it's not Silicon Valley here, so we can't implement that <laughs> to quite the degree that, you know, there's a lot of like really brainy people working at Apple, I'm sure, but we, we can't quite replicate it to that degree, but, um, we do have, you know, we do try to have that kind of culture here as much as possible. Is there anything in particular that you do to try to foster that? Um, I think, uh, the other side of that is like, um, knowing when not to kind of intervene and try not too much, uh, really trying to listen to the, the people, you know, the other side of that, like, you know, you want people to tell you what to do. Now you have to listen to them. So that side of it, I think is the part and it's difficult because it means kind of giving up your ego a little bit to be able to do that. Um, but that, I guess that side of it is what we try to cultivate, what I try to cultivate myself, you know, and then the other thing, um, you know, trying to, uh, allow for a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know. I had a manager here who, and he really wanted to grow storage kohlrabi. And I was like, this is the dumbest idea ever. But <laughs> I, I you know, just didn't seem like, what are we going to do with it? You know, we didn't, it's not going to fit in the boxes. It's not going to, what, what are we going to do with it? And I'm like, you know what? Here's 5,000 storage kohlrabi seeds, plant them, have fun. <laughs> and we're not growing it again ever because it obviously <laughs> didn't work out. But, um, I mean, I was right, but maybe I was in the bin. Maybe that would have turned into something. So, like, sometimes kind of like when someone feels really strongly about doing something, allowing them to make that mistake, uh, if it is a mistake, and or allow them to at least have that experience of trying it. And, and then, you know, you can't do that at any cost. Of course, there, there's some place where that needs to be, um, you know, you need to lay down the law or whatever, <laughs> but, but, but to some extent that, that like allowing for that to happen to some degree, I think is another, um, 
thing that we try to con- con- um, consciously do, or that I try to consciously do at least, and I think it, it permeates down through the system. So, I know it was one of the hardest things as my farm was growing because when you're, you know, when it's when it's just you and a couple of other people, you know, the the three acres and a rototiller, everything that happens on the farm is a is really a reflection of you, and you've got control over how it turns out, and and figuring out as you grow larger, how to let people make those mistakes that they can learn from and that also make them feel like they've got some say in the operation. God, it's, I mean, it's just, it's rough. And I mean, it actually, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of parenting too, you know, where you get into that idea that your kids are a reflection of you. And so they've got to be perfect and trying somehow to, to let go of that at the, at the right level while, you know, you know, it's, it's making that difference between, between growing the storage kohlrabi and and uh, and completely overhauling the crop rotation, you know, and deciding where that appropriate level of, of interaction right, is absolutely. for each employee. Yeah. And, and also I think that um, the difference that I kind of have found is like, this is a reflection on me, has changed to like a collective reflection for because we're a team. So this is a reflection on the team. Hey, you didn't make the basket. We didn't score the book. Bu- we didn't score the touchdown and we lost the goal. We lost the game, you know? So like, we all have to like, make sure that we win. I mean, it's not, it's not like a game in that sense that we, you know, like if you want to take the team metaphor and keep moving with it, we, to be successful, we have to all together and all, you know, do our, absolute 100% so that we can be successful and, and achieve our goals. And so that, you know, we sh- share the goals with everybody. This is how much we want to sell this year. This is how many shares, this is how much we need to make it market. This is everybody's pay. You know, this is what we can do after we get to the end of the year. If there's any money left, we're going to distribute it in this way. You know, that kind of, like everyone we're a team. So like everyone's going to play their part. And if you let, you know, if, 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 uh, if that Kohlrabi doesn't turn out, it's not a reflection on me. It's a reflection on the team. We, we didn't, we did something we shouldn't have done. (laughs) Let's not do that again. You know? And, uh, but to do that, like, um, you know, sometimes you have to pass the ball to the guy who's not the best, uh, shooter, <laughs> right. whatever, you know what I mean? And, and let them take a shot give them a chance. So that, you know, that, that's how that kind of has to play out sometimes to be a team. So that's, that's the team metaphor. <laughs> take it, take it and run with it. <laughs> so, so something that you said there that I thought was, was really well, just to stay with the team metaphor. And then I got a question about that. I mean, with the, with the team metaphor, when we're playing football uh, or soccer, you know, it's pretty easy to tell when your team gets a touchdown, right? You see right. it. It's right there in front of you. And, and I feel like sometimes for, for farm crews, especially when you, you know, you layer in a couple of levels of management, it can be really difficult for somebody who's putting twist ties around bunches of, of beats to say, oh, yeah, we got a touchdown, you know, or, or, or on, on the other hand to say, oh, shoot, you know, we screwed that up and we had to punt. Um, 
Do you have some mechanisms in place for for communicating those wins and losses? I think one of yeah, I think one of them is like you're if you're going to do the team that for the the manager is a coach, right? So coach is going to tell you when you did a good job, right? So like, hey guys, that was awesome. Look at this crop of broccoli. It's turned out perfect. There's no weeds in here. Um, you know, there's so much of it here. We've got plenty for our CSA, which is, this is a hard crop to grow and we did it. And, or, you know, like, man, that was a long 12 hour day that all worked, but look at all that we got done. That was amazing. You guys are great. That kind of like, <laughs> that kind of like stuff is, or, you know, Hey, those, what happened today out there was just not what we're looking for. You know, that really was a disappointment in a lot of ways and it's not up to what our standards should be. And we really should have, we, we didn't call each other enough. We didn't check in and make sure where everyone was and things got out of control and we were here for 12 hours, you know? And so let's not do that again. Here's what we can do to improve. So that's kind of how you can get the wins and losses in essentially. And, you know, sales is another way to measure that too. You know, it's like, Hey, we still, we did exactly what we said we were going to do this year. We sold 1500 shares. We made X amount of money and we, we had, you know, our farmer's markets were all good, which means y'all were smiling and happy there. And, um, this is great. You guys, Good job. So there, there's like all those kind of different levels where, where you know you can define success for, for your, for your team. I guess. Right. You said that you you might tell people at the at the end of the year. You know, if we if we have money left at the end of the year, this is how we're going to distribute it. Are you when you say that? Are you guys actually providing performance bonuses or or any sort of profit sharing? Yeah, we are, we are, we have been giving out bonuses for the last few years. Um, but, uh, you know, and this year we'll, we'll do something again, but, um, we are really trying to right now formulate like a really solid, like profit sharing where like, you know, we look at like, here's what the sales were and we met all of our spending, you know, all of our expenditure goals were, we're met. So we didn't, you know, we didn't spend too much on this or that or whatever. We set goals for that. We set goals for what the bottom line is going to look like at the bottom of the year. And then at the end of the year and how much we're borrowing and spending on different assets. And then what my draw comes out of that, that and like a certain number, a certain amount of money for retained earnings so we can get into the next year. And then what's left, let's, let's split it up. So here's the plan. This is what it looks like on paper. If we can do this, if there's $40,000 left over, we're going to split it up in, in a way that takes into account like how, how long you've worked here, what your level of responsibility is here, and, and how much you worked here this year. And, um, you know, and, and we'll divide it up that way because, you know, I could keep it or, or, you know, or, or we could, we could all split it up. <laughs> so let's all split it up because we all did it. You know, honestly, I can't do all of this by myself. There's no way. So everyone's here doing it. So it's all, really great. It's, yeah. It's, it seems like the way to do, it. I mean, 
you know, I'm not going to not take care of myself and my, and my family, you know, from this, from the farm or whatever, I'm going to take a fair wage out of it for, for what I do and contribute here. But at the same time, I don't need to take, uh, more than that. And if we can motivate people to generate more than that, then great. We can all make a little more money at the end of it. So, Oh, and it's a nice, uh, uh, tangible display of appreciation. I mean, nothing, nothing says thank you quite the way that dollar bills do. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm sure that's true to some extent, (laughs) but it also, you know, you gotta be careful. It's not the only thing that does say thank you. And that's right. um, You know, you can throw money at a problem and, and it doesn't make it, it doesn't, you know, if you have an employee that's feeling resentful or, or upset with the situation and you can give them a raise, but it, they still feel the same way. So you, right. do, you can't only express it that way. Yeah. I think that's really important. It's not the, it's not the only tool at your disposal, but it is, it is certainly a tangible one. Yeah. Um, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? Um, learn what to worry about. <laughs> I like that <laughs> because you you know I think I see a lot of beginning farmers really stressed out they're worried about and they're worried about the wrong thing you know they're worried about uh, something they can't change the weather or something you know they're worried about um, you, you know I don't know what it is but you, you just worry about like everything you worry about the the six heads of lettuce that look bad, you know, and, and you know, you gotta, you gotta like understand what's important to address first. And I think that's the hardest thing. Uh, and, and kind of, um, also not, you, you know, learning how to let go of that stress is learning how to manage your stress is really too. Otherwise you'll have a heart attack or quit. Anton, thank you so much for making time on a busy Friday afternoon to to do the Farmer to Farmer podcast with me. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And um, I, I um, look forward to listening to more of your podcasts in the future. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 29 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast and that you can find the notes for this show at farmertofarmerpodcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for Burkett with two T's. That's B-U-R-K-E-T-T. I want to mention a great resource for listening to the podcast because I'm a fanatic about using proper ear protection when driving the tractor. I always get a little bit uptight when I see people driving the tractor without the earplugs, even when it's just a photograph on Facebook or something. I love the world of audio. So I spent a lot of time a number of years ago looking for a way that I could listen to my MP3 player. This was back in the time before smartphones while I was doing those sorts of repetitive tasks that God have a lot of noise running the weed whip, running the rototiller, spending all day or all night on the tractor. And the best solution I found is the Peltor 2600N noise isolating earbuds. They do a great job of keeping the loud noises out and letting the good sounds in. And because they stick right in my ear instead of going over my head like on ear protectors, I can still wear my Shady Brady straw hat while I'm protecting my hearing. Plus, if you go through farmer to farmer podcast dot com slash earbuds to get a pair, it helps to support the show.
If you enjoy the podcast, I think you would also enjoy my weekly newsletter, The Flying Rutabaga. The Flying Rutabaga runs the gamut from practical templates for delegation to guidelines for watering transplants. You can sign up at farmertofarmerpodcast.com or purplepitchfork.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, it would be great if you would pop over to iTunes and leave us a review or make a comment on the show notes or tell your friends on Facebook. These reviews and referrals are the bread and butter of making this show available to an ever wider group of listeners. One more thing, if you hung on this long, besides thanking you for hanging on this long, I'd like to know what questions you have that my guests or I might be able to answer in the podcast. Please let me know on Facebook at Purple Pitchfork or use the contact page on farmertofarmerpodcast.com. Anything about farming and farm life is fair game. And if you want to be anonymous, just let me know and I won't mention your name on air. If we choose your questions to use on air, I'll even send you a Farmer to Farmer podcast mug. Keep weathering the weather, be safe out there, and keep the tractor running.